Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant. Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministry. This is Season 3, Episode 18, Heavenly Father, Part 1. I want to do kind of a in-depth rant series about what I think is the biggest and best and brightest and most important picture of God in the Bible. And... When I say that, what I'm really talking about is a picture of the relationship between God and man, because that's what's important. That's what means something. And you guys know, Word Without Walls, I always try to make things practical. I try to make things, um, you know, I really try to get down where the rubber meets the road so that we can have something that means something in our lives so that we can really be able to live this life and experience this life that we've been given. And I think the best way to do that, probably really the only real way to do that is by understanding who God is and who we are in the context of that father-son relationship. That's the picture that Jesus used most often. Even when he told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's like, how do you, I've been here with you guys for so long showing you all these things and you know we, we've talked about this a bit even the disciples even jesus's hand-picked followers and you know to be fair they were they were fishermen and you know they were not uh educated they weren't rabbis they weren't scholars they were just regular folks so the fact that they probably didn't understand like when jesus said i'm gonna die and then three days later I'll rise again. Like that sounds insane. That sounds crazy. That doesn't make any sense. I think that would give anybody pause. But when, uh, when Philip asked him, asked Jesus, show us the father, Jesus kind of, it seems like he almost kind of even got a little bit annoyed. And he was like, I've been here with you guys this long and you still don't get it. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. This is what your heavenly father looks like. And what did we see when we saw Jesus was just simply a man like you and me, full of love, making things better wherever he went. Jesus fed hungry people. He healed sick people. He raised the dead. He even, I mean, if you look at when he turned water into wine, he even kept the party going. Like he, he wanted us to have the best quality of life that we could have. Everywhere he went, he improved things for people. That's what love does. And more than anything else, that's who God is. So when we're talking about our Heavenly Father, we're talking about a father's love for his son. And we're really going to dig into that as we go on with this. Um, for this week, kind of almost as a, a, you know, setting the groundwork, laying the foundation, I only have two memory verses I want to read, but I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I want to read one of them in two different translations. But I really want to kind of just be able to let this flow and just kind of really dig into it piece by piece in the next however many weeks here because i think it's so so important because really the fact of the matter is is that when you understand that god is love you can find him wherever you seek for him and we kind of talked about that a little bit i think it was last week when we talked about seeking and finding but the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. 
I believe it was uh, I believe it was David who wrote in the Psalms, if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. If I ascend up to heaven, you're there with me. Like there's nowhere that he's not. Uh, I always bring up, I think it was one of the old Punisher movies where Punisher said, or uh, Punisher's friend, when, when he was getting ready to go on his mission of revenge, Punisher's friend was like, go with God. And Punisher said, God's going to sit this one out. And even the first time I ever watched that, I was like, no, he's not. How can he sit it out? He's always that he's sworn never to leave us nor forsake us. He's always there with us. God never sits anything now. And I don't think he, you know, even when he's, even when we're making our bed in hell, quote unquote, so to speak, which I don't think means that uh, eternal conscious torment punishment that a lot of religious folk think it means. I think hell is the same. I think just like it's heaven on earth. I think it's probably hell on earth. I think it's just our current situation that we're going through. Sometimes, you know, there's a song that says, if you're going through hell, keep on going. And I think that's more what, it's more what we experience here and now than, than anything that we should be working towards in a quote unquote afterlife. But my point is, is that you can find love anywhere if you're looking for it. So this picture of God as our heavenly father, that's something different. That's something else. That's something special because when you're, how can I say this? When a father loves his son, it really equips and empowers that child or that man or that woman, that person. It, it, when a father loves his son, it, it, it equips and empowers them to really be who they are, to really be able to, and we're going to look at this, uh, you know, as we go on in this series too, it really empowers them to, as Jesus said, be about our father's business. And that's what, where Jesus was right from the jump. When Jesus was very small and he got lost, well, he wasn't lost, but his parents didn't, his natural parents didn't know where he was. And then they found him in the temple and he's like, why'd you have to look for me? Didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? Like right, right from the jump, Jesus knew who he was and who his daddy was and why he was here and what he was supposed to be doing. And he was all about it. And I know he was a carpenter, but I really feel like even then, his main goal and his main purpose has always been to show people the Father. And that's why I want to read my first verse. It's John chapter 14, verse 6. And it reads, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this is why I said the thing about when you understand that God is love, you can find him anywhere. Because I think it's a very specific thing that Jesus was saying here when he was talking about being the way, the truth, and the life. I think Jesus was saying, I am the way to the Father, the truth about the Father, and the life of the Father, which is a whole different thing that we're talking about here. When people say, well, you you know, you have to accept Jesus. You have to confess that Jesus is your Lord so you can go to heaven and not go to, like, I, oh, that's, that religious stuff drives me crazy. Like, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He didn't say, no man can come to heaven except through me. He said, no one can come to the Father except through me. And the reason that that's true, and we're going to see this too when I read my next verse, is because you can't understand God as your Father Unless and until you understand yourself as his son. That makes sense, right? How can you have a father-son relation, father relationship without a father and a son? 
So there's no way to get to the Father except through the Son. And as again, as we're going to see, it's not like Jesus. I've, I've heard Jesus so many times be called, well, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And I mean, I guess, but really it's more than that. Jesus isn't like he's not the go-between for us to get to God. He's the meeting place of us and God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All of God dwells in his body. So then when he was lifted up on the cross, when he was lifted up from the earth and he drew all men into himself and he planted himself in all men, then all the fullness that was in him, he put into us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he also said, you are the light of the world. It's the same light shining in us, shining out of us, shining through us, because the light, again, there's four concrete things in the Bible that God is identified as. God is love, God is spirit, God is light, and God is a consuming fire. Those are the four things that the Bible clearly says God is fill in the blank. So the light that the light of the world that Jesus is and that we are, that's the light of God. That's the love of God. It's the light of love. When you're talking about living in the light, you're talking about living in love. And we know that that's the difference, excuse me, between death and life. If you have no love, you have no life. But if you know love, then you know life. Because you can't do one without the other. To live is to love, and to love is to live. They aren't just connected. They're the same thing. So when we're talking about, I believe that, and especially since the source of love lives inside of us, I, I truly, I truly believe that you can find love anywhere, in any situation. Because all you have to do is look inside, and then you'll find it, and then you can let it out. What's inside of you will come out, no matter well, what I should say is what you believe is inside of you will come out. Because when you believe, when you mix it with faith, that's what empowers it. And unfortunately, that works for anything. Whatever you believe in, is inside of you will come out. If you believe hurt is inside of you, hurt will come out. Hurting people hurt people. But if you believe love is inside of you, then love will come out. Because loved people love people. What, whatever you fill yourself with, whatever you mix with faith, that's what you're empowering in your life to come out in your life. So, and I'm not saying, listen, I know that I know that healing is important. I'm not saying you should stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and just ignore things that happen to you. I don't think that's healthy. But what I'm saying is, is you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You can let the Lord have those things that might hold you down. And then once you lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily besets you, as the book of Hebrews says, then you can walk in newness of life. You can walk by faith and not by sight. You don't have to accept what the world gives you because you can simply accept and enjoy and share and give what the truth, what Jesus, what your heavenly father has given you. And there's a lot to be said about the inheritance of a father to a son, and we're going to get into that in this series also. But Again, for today, I'm, I'm really trying. I know I'm wandering around like crazy, and I'm just kind of ranting about this. But I want to set the foundation so hard and so strong where we understand that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. 
simply because, not because God was saying, here's the loophole to get you out of hell. Jesus is not a loophole to get us out of hell. Hell in the Bible was simply the place of the dead. And that's why in the book of Revelation, when it talks about death and hell were cast into, into the lake of fire, that just, that makes sense. Because if death is gone, then you don't need a place for the dead anymore, right? Again, just logically, just trying to use some Logan logic on you. Like if there's no death, then you don't need a place for the dead, okay? So death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And if hell was cast into the lake of fire, hell can't be a lake of fire, right? So that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, and, and, and it's so twisted and messed up to me that like, there's this like this, this the, the the almost like traditional religious view is that God got really mad and decided he had to kill somebody and he was going to kill humanity. But instead of that, he decided he would kill his only son, which we kind of see that picture in the story of Abraham and Isaac. But then if you read through that whole story, God stopped Abraham from killing his son and God present pre presented himself as a sacrifice with the ram that was caught on the other side of the mountain. So, so, but it's, it's, it's bizarre to me that we have this picture of like, God is so mad that he's got to kill somebody and he's going to kill humans. But instead of killing humans, he's like, no, I'll kill myself instead. I'm going to protect these people from myself by killing myself. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it never did. Like I always had a problem with this idea that God was angry and had to kill somebody. Because God's not angry. God is love, right? God is forgiveness. God is mercy. God is grace. So what really happened was, and there was even a chance, like, do you, do you, do you guys know the story about Barabbas? Like, when, when, when Jesus was being held by Pontius Pilate, he gave the people a chance. He said, do you want me to release this criminal, this rabble-rouser, Barabbas, or do you want me to release Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. They said, you can have Jesus. And, and it was the religious people, it was the religious folk of the time that were saying, crucify him, crucify him. So if anybody had it in their heart to kill anybody, it wasn't God killing, it was man killing. It was us who turned our hearts away. And even still on the cross, Jesus cried out to the Father and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think he meant that specifically towards the people that were killing him at that time and place. But I think he meant that generally for everybody ever. Because we never know what we're doing. We're all just kind of stumbling around and wandering around and trying to do our best. And we need a lot of grace. We need a lot of forgiveness. We need a lot of slack. We need people to, you know, let us live and learn and let us learn by doing and let us make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. These are all important parts of life. Nobody does it right every time. And a lot of times you have to do it wrong before you can do it right. And a lot of times you learn more from your mistakes and from your failures than you do from success. So I don't think Jesus, what did I say before? Yeah, I don't think Jesus is a loophole to keep us out of hell. I don't think Jesus was God's last ditch effort to say, all right, I'm killing somebody. Who can I kill? Uh, I guess I don't want to kill humanity. So, all right, I'll kill myself. I'll kill my son. I don't think that that's what happened at all. So Jesus saying, no man comes to the Father but by me, he's not saying I'm the only way to avoid hell, which, I mean, you know, even if you have my understanding of hell, which is more of a current situation type of deal, 
Jesus is our salvation from hell. But what I'm saying is the traditional religious sense. What Jesus was saying is no man comes to the Father except through me. Because how can you know God as your Father unless you know yourself as his only begotten Son in whom he is well pleased? And that's why the baptism was so important. And I think we talked about that not too long ago, too, about God uh, publicly giving his approval to his son. And that and, and, and the, you know, the gospels recorded a diff, couple of different ways where God said, you are my beloved son. And God also said, this is my beloved son. He didn't just say it just to Jesus. He said it to those that were there, too. So not only would Jesus understand, but everybody else would understand which I think is amazing. But here's the deal. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to experience the Father, if we want to know the Father, like Philip who said, show us the Father, like that was his heart. And that wasn't bad. It wasn't, it's it's not bad for your heart to, to want to know the Father. I think that's amazing. I think that's great. But Jesus was even a little bit exasperated. And he said, how long have I been with you? And you don't get it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No one can come to the Father except through the Son. You have to know yourself as the as God's son in order to know God as your heavenly father. And here's the key to that. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And it reads, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. When Jesus, after Jesus died and was buried and rose again, he ascended up into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended. Jesus talked about that a lot. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I will send you the comforter. I will send you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that leads and guides you into all truth. He said, I'm leaving, but it's good that I leave because the Holy Spirit's coming and it will dwell inside you. And then you will have everything you need on the inside. Because when people were following Jesus around, he was only one man. And he did a lot of miracles. But if he's saying, all these works that I've done, you will do, and greater works than these. Like, if he wants this to spread all over the world, and it very, very quickly spread all over the world, then it can't just be one single human being. It has to be that spirit inside all of these human beings. So that's what God did. He did not give us a spirit of slavery anymore. The people of Israel were slaves for 400 and some odd years, and then they were delivered. And they were delivered by the blood of the lamb, the Passover, right? They were delivered by um, Moses, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, into the wilderness, and then through the wilderness, and then eventually by Joshua, bringing them into the promised land. And, you know, Moses is type and shadow of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, and Joshua is is literally the, the, the name of Jesus, and he was a type and shadow of the new thing. Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament and fulfilling the Old Covenant and then bringing us into his new covenant. So it says, uh, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. That's so important to me that the only way that we can cry out, Abba, Father, the only way we cannot be fearful slaves is through God's spirit. 
We have received it. We have it. It's not something we need. It's something we have. Again, it's the spirit of truth that leads and guides us into all truth. And the truth that it leads us and guides us into is that we are his sons. The truth that it leads us and guides us into is the ability for us to cry out, Abba, Father, to know God as our Heavenly Father. No man, no one can come to the Father except through the Son. So the Son gave us his spirit so that we may know ourselves as Son and know God as our Heavenly Father. That's why this is so important to me. That's why this. I just want to hit these two notes over and over as hard as I can to really hopefully set the foundation for this. You can't know God as your father unless you know yourself as his son. And you can't know yourself as his son unless you have his spirit, which allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, or it says, call him Abba, Father, or know him as Abba, Father. And in the Amplified Version of the Bible, it reads like this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit producing sonship, by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. There's a few keys there that I really wanted to point out. And the first one is the spirit of sonship. That, to me, is what the Holy Spirit is more than it's anything else. That's this, the, again, that's, that's the truth that the spirit of truth leads and guides us into. It's the truth about our true identity. It's the truth about who we are in context to who God is. It's the spirit that brings us into that relationship, the father-son relationship. That's the biggest, best, most powerful picture of God and man in the Bible. It, it, the whole deal and I've always tried to make it this way. Like in the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, he created the body, the mind and the body. In the beginning, God created you. In the beginning of your story, God created you. But you were dark and void and without form. And then God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. In order to really be able to experience what God has for us, the gift of God, which is eternal life, his abundant, everlasting, eternal resurrection life of love. In order to really, truly experience that, we have to know our place in the story. We have to know who we are. We have to have a spirit that's producing sonship in us. So that, because, and, and I, I think I try to rant this verse a lot, and I think I did it pretty recently. It's in one of the books of John where it talks about we are sons, but we don't know who we are because we don't because we haven't seen him as he is. But when he appears, we will see him as he is, and then we will know what it means to be who we are. That's the key to this thing. That's the maturation process. That's the never-ending journey, the lifelong etern- the eternal lifelong journey into the heart of the matter, which is God's heart beating in our chests. The heart of the matter is the heart. So when we understand that it's a maturation process, when we understand that his spirit is producing sonship in us, we are his sons, and now he's producing that truth in us. He's showing us what it means to be his sons by showing us what it means for him to be our father. Then we don't have to try to figure out who we are. We can simply be who we are. We can embrace who we are. We can stop trying to be somebody we're not in order to get something that we think we haven't got. And we can start to enjoy all of the things that we do have. 
and I'm probably going to talk about this again too, but it, it's a big part of it is the story of the prodigal son where the older brother was upset when the younger brother came home and daddy ran out to meet him and greet him and put his ring on him and say, my son who is dead is now alive. And he, the, you know, the father was like, let's throw a party. This is the greatest. And the older son was like, I've been here the whole time working for you the whole time. I never get a party. And the father looked at him kind of startled and surprised and said, what are you talking about? You've been here this whole time. Yeah, that's true. And all I have is yours. If you wanted to have a party, you should have had a party. You've always had access to everything that I am and everything that I have. And almost a little bit kind of to my detriment, I taught my son Logan that his whole life. I always told him, what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. So then sometimes I get something for me and like, like I'll get a, a like a special treat for me or something like a special dessert. And at best, I'll be able to eat half of it because what's mine is his. And it, it, you know, I'm kind of joking when I say to my detriment, because I really don't mind. I want him to have all of the best things in life. I want him to know that what's mine is his. I want him to be able to have whatever it is that I have to give. But the, but again, the older son, what he didn't understand, he didn't understand what it meant to be a son. He didn't understand what it meant that his father had all these things available to the son. And that's what this spirit producing sonship is all about, by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. So many times we think about God as like a, a break glass in case of emergency, like a last resort. We, you know, uh, uh, I think I heard a, a preacher once say we should make God first choice, not last chance. And I think if we did that more often, we wouldn't get to last chance. We would get right where we need to be right from the jump. And we wouldn't have to struggle so much. We wouldn't have to wander around in the wilderness so much because God makes our paths straight. And sometimes they're straight and narrow. And sometimes, you know, it's hard not to wander off one way or the other. We have to keep our eyes on him and we have to listen to the voice crying from behind us, the finished work, showing us which way to go, telling us who we are. I think what God does more than anything else in order to chasten and correct the children that he loves, and we're going to talk about the, about chastening and correcting too in this series, I think. But I think what he does in order to chasten and correct us more than anything else is he simply reminds us of who we really are. He simply reminds us, like, you're better than that. Like, that. The, I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I know what you've done, but more importantly, I know who you are. And that's what God has always cared about. He cares about who you are. And when you know who you are, you can be who you are. And I'm not saying you won't ever make mistakes, but I'm saying when you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ every day, no matter what, on your worst day, when you've done the lousiest thing that you've ever done, you're still the righteousness of God in Christ. Because that doesn't go away. That's not conditional. Your identity is not conditional. You are not what people call you, but you are what you answer to. You are what you believe about you. So this spirit of sonship, this spirit inside of us, this spirit of adoption by which we know who our father is. And and listen, we might talk about adoption too, because that gets a little tricky and that gets a little, uh, it's easy to twist that one around. But this does not mean God taking somebody who is not in his family and adopting them into his family. It means God setting you in place 
as an heir. God's setting you in place. Like, again, like the it's, it's all about family business. Like when you've been adopted as God's son, that means you can speak with his authority. It doesn't mean I wasn't part of the family, but now I am. So I want to get that straight. But when we have this spirit of adoption, when we have this way and this truth and this life about who we are, which is the son and who he is, which is the father, that's when we can joyfully cry out, Abba, Father. We don't have to come to him just in times of distress. We can come to him and, and we can see him in our joys and in our successes. We can see him every day in every way. And we can know that we walk in the light. We live in the light because his light shines on us, in us, out of us, through us, and as us. We are the light as he is the light. He is the heavenly father and we are his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And when we know our true identity and when we have that affirmation from the father, it will equip and empower us to be who we really are. It will equip and empower us to embrace ourselves. When we know that our father is pleased with us, we can cry out joyfully for him instead of crying out in the hopes that we will impress him or in hopes that he will love us. When we know that we're loved, we can cry out in joy. Praising God does not get him to do things. Praising God is thanking him for the things that he has done. It's an attitude of gratitude that's such a huge part of this sonship, knowing that everything in Jesus is yea and amen, knowing that all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. And again, he's the Father of lights because we're the light and he's our Father. So when we understand that, then we can begin to really experience and enjoy this gift that our Father has given us, this gift of His Spirit, this gift of His love, this gift of His life. So that's what I have for this week, and I don't know how long this uh, series is going to be. I'm just going to go for it for a while. Um, as my pastor taught me, I'm going to preach it until my heart is empty of it. So stick around, guys, and we'll see you next week. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that I've written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books, and I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it. And you can, su you can support it, excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it to uh to help me to get the word out which you know as we know by now is is my heart is just getting this word out word without walls ministry um so just thank you for your support i love you and there's nothing you can do about it amen